So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about in the past how I never had a formal mentor. Now, that doesn't mean that I've never learned from anybody that could be further from the truth. It just meant that I've never really had somebody that, you know, at an early age, put their arm around me, kind of showed me the ropes, gave me some tips, even held me accountable at times in my life where I probably could have used it because I was scared to take action. You know, one of the things that I wanted to do and I've always wanted to do is I feel like I had to fill that void for others that I had in myself for better or worse. I just never wanted somebody else to feel unguided. And so one thing I created, and this was at the request of a lot of folks that had listened in and been on the newsletter is what's called the coalition. And the coalition is something that we do at Art of Coaching that is focused on personal and professional development. And it's not just for coaches. Uh, We have people in the group right now that work in a wide variety of the industry uh, and different industries at that. Uh, People that range from 25 years old to 62 years of age. And this thing was created not because I view myself as some guru. That's definitely not the case, but because we really wanted to have a proactive community of accountability. We found that there's coaches and professionals out there that they're looking for people to share ideas with. They want to vet their own thoughts. They want to see what other people are doing. And they want to do that in a safe place where people aren't just kind of sharing surface level tips and things like that. So what they do, what we do is we do this biannually. It's a six month program. It is application only. And that's not because we're elitist or anything like that. It's simply because we want people that have skin in the game. There's a cost on both ends. So there is a cost to join the coalition and there's a cost for me and the time that I dedicate to it. But what you get is when you join the coalition, you get free access to either one of my online courses. Uh, Both of those are normally $497. So you get that completely for free. We do monthly calls and they're all recorded, uh, but we do bi-monthly calls that are recorded. So let's say you can't make it one month, you'll always have digital access to that. You can always go and review. We have a private group, so guys are always interacting in between these calls. We do a bunch of different check-ins. We have a dedicated support team for any kind of technical issues. You'll always get first access and discounted rates to live events. And then what's awesome is at the end of those six months, uh, we do a weekend in Atlanta, and uh, I I rent out either a lodge or, or a huge house or we do a shared workspace and we all get together and whatever the main initiative was that you were working on when you started, we all kind of present to one another and help each other tweak it and refine it so that we can make that progress we're looking for personally or professionally. So the bottom line is this is six month accountability group uh, community really where we're doing a lot of unique things and we'd love to have you as a part of it. So it reopens in February, 2020. We're accepting applications now. We only open it up to about 10 to 12 members per six month interval. And there's already four signed up for this. So if you're interested, make sure to go to artofcoaching.com check out the mentoring tab and you're going to see it. It's called the coalition. Again, it's half a year. It's a lot of commitment, but it's also a lot of fun. And you get to connect with people that again, want skin in the game, aren't hiding and just talking about what they want to do. They actually are putting an action plan together and doing it. So again, check out the coalition signups and applications are accepted now. Hope to hear from you soon. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior, 
and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. Glad to have you guys back. I'm here today with Darren Roberts and Darren has a incredible bio. So I'm going to read this one off because you know, every now and then, you know, I always try to make sure the guests get a chance to read their own bio. But this one, I mean, when you read it, you almost don't believe it. And I think you guys are going to love this episode because Darren's a little twisted in the head, uh, both from just the standpoint that he's an absolute genius, but has a great sense of humor. And it's no, it's no mystery as to why when you hear about this. So yeah, Darren was in the Royal Air Force Regiment as a gunner and military parachutist from 89 to 1998 before leaving to pursue a career in SNC. Now, after a period of time as a private trainer, he began to work part-time with Premiership Rugby Union as well as rugby league teams. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. In 2002, Darren began to work with Red Bull UK on various high-performance projects with its athletes, and he went on to deliver the Red Bull UK high-performance program from 2008 to 2013. As if that was not enough, in January 2014, he joined Harrison Ross, which is a large physiotherapy company based in the north of England. So from that standpoint, you know, Darren continues to deliver high performance and sports medicine services to Red Bull UK, which you're going to hear him talk about a little bit in here, to their action sport athletes, as well as to many other action sport athletes from around the world. And this is uh, in a large facility near Manchester. So alongside with this, Darren, and, and he's one of the most unique presenters I ever saw. So if you get the chance, make sure you go see him. But he's presented at performance clinics, medical summits, and has even spoken on rehabilitation to NASA, Nike, the British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine, European College of Sports and Exercise Medicine, on and on and on and on. Darren, did I miss anything there that was in like, you know, have you been to the moon? Are you going to Mars? Is there anything critical that I missed there? You missed, you missed out my role in the... Uh... Uh, Bay of Pigs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for putting up with the nonsense. And uh, it's just, I'm, I'm excited to have you because the sense of humor here, I hope anybody listening is, uh, is ready to laugh because man, you, you educate and you just, you crack me up at the same rate. So thank you for coming on. No, that's absolutely cool. And um, it, it's, uh, it's only taken a few takes to get to this point, because obviously you kept laughing as well. So I think we should just share that with everybody that you had to, you had to restart this. So um, no, I'm, I'm super happy. Um, it's great to talk to you. It was, it's, it's obviously we stay in touch and um, more than happy to come on the podcast and share some of my, I guess, experiences and ideas. I, I, you know, I've not got any sort of hard science behind me but um that's the nature of the beast of the athletes that i work with and um it's just i guess it's just my experience and learnings over the years of, of working with who i've worked with and i want to talk about that primarily you know when you work with action sports right red bull uk all this you're talking about having to embrace chaos you're talking about a completely different kind of athlete and we mentioned this a little bit before we started recording one of the most common questions i get is you know, how do I deal with a difficult athlete? How do I deal with people that don't want to comply? How do I, it's just a lot of how do I get these rogues to get in line? And that's actually on a hard stop where I want to start with you. Since you deal with these action sport athletes who have to just look at risk, then they have to look at the world in a completely different way. Can you talk to us about the role of the emotions and everything your athletes go through and how they're actually world-class because sometimes they don't do as they're told? Well, that's exactly it. They, 
they generally are world-class because they don't do as they're told. And if they were the sort of athlete or person that um, did as they were told, then they wouldn't be jumping off cliffs or throwing themselves down mountains. And equally, the, 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 those kind of um, outliers, they, they gravitate towards those sports uh, because that's who they are. Now, with my military background, when I first started working with these athletes, um, you know, working in traditional mainstream sport is, is very much, I found it very much to be the same as the military in as far as you're wearing a uniform, i.e. the team kit, and, you know, the guys are the same, the banter's the same, the jokes are the same. So coming from the military into traditional mainstream team sport was, was n not very different for me. Now, working with action sport athletes in the early days, it was absolutely horrendous because I, I did have a very much a sergeant major approach to them. And I was very much about athlete compliance. If you comply to this program, then this is what's going to make you better. And you don't train in the gym. This is a disaster. How can you not, how can you not do this? How do you, why don't you squat? Why don't you deadlift? Why don't you do this? Why? And, and I had a very much sergeant major approach to it, as I say. And um, the athletes just uh, didn't want anything to do with me. So you kind of sit down and go, well, you know, what's going on here? And um, you have to come to the realization that these athletes are excellent at what they do. And they've got quite a long way in doing what they're doing by themselves without uh, being taught how to squat properly in a gym. So I had to have this kind of big overhaul of, of what I was doing and how I was doing it and how I was approaching these things. And um, just as you say, and as I say, embrace the chaos is, is embrace those qualities and embrace those things um, of how they are and why they are the way they are. And how do I connect with that and not, not get them to comply, but at least get them to cooperate and participate um, and uh, kind of let them be in charge. And so it's just, just flip it on its head. And that's not, that's not because I'm some sort of genius that's, that can work all this stuff out. It's, you know, it's the athletes are the way they are. And, and this system has to be that way. Otherwise it wouldn't work for them. And I'm not saying this would work in mainstream traditional sports, but certainly with the action sport athletes, you, you have to let them lead. You have to let, let them take control. And if you've got a very, very difficult athlete, quite often you find you, your most precocious talented athlete is also the most difficult one to work with well so what embrace that embrace those qualities and how can you uh, turn that around into not because it's not a negative thing they are the way they are for, for good reason which is why they're so good so embrace those qualities and how can you craft your relationship with them and the environment so it engages with them and it encourages them to participate and cooperate, especially if they've got autonomy, they're making decisions. I mean, if you hire a car, you're not looking after it, are you? I mean, I don't, well, I say that you, you may look after your hire cars really well, Brett. But when I worked in motorsport, uh, the hire cars were treated like uh, rally cars. So, um, but your own car, you treat very differently. And for the athletes, if it's something they have ownership over and something they have control over, and input into and they've helped shape it then it becomes their own and and then all of a sudden you they're doing things that they probably wouldn't have done before but they're doing it in the way they want to do it and then everybody's happy yeah and you touch uh, one of the things i like that you mentioned there and i hope people wrote it down if they're listening and hopefully not driving is it's not so much compliance as it is cooperation or collaboration 
And you also talked on, touched on autonomy. Now, I want to kind of provide a little bit of a case study here because I think you excel at giving tactical information. It's one of the it's one of the ways, right? Like anybody that spends five minutes around you or even less knows you're actually doing it day to day and not just kind of a, a charlatan or a myrmidon or anything like that. So let's imagine two things. And these are conversations I've had recently. Let's imagine I'm a young coach. I'm, I'm at a new job, right? That could be at a facility, that could be at a school, that could be anything. And I'm seeing, you know, one group is really compliant or uh, they're cooperating, they're, they're doing really well. And then another group of athletes is just like, it seems like there's no structure, right? And they get like, no matter what I'm doing, I just can't get these guys on the same page. The first group, it's almost like orchestration, right? It's clockwork, everything's smooth. The second one, whether it's a lack of leadership, like I said, kind of that internal, uh, uh, internal leadership structure, or maybe it's just, it's a younger group, or maybe it's a group where a bunch of people of a certain archetype have gotten together and, you know, it just kind of creates this different environment. That's one piece or two. I was talking to a more senior level coach recently, and it was a similar scenario. This coach is very energetic, right? Like he, the music's up, everybody's going. It's, it's, I mean, they, they respond to energy, but then there's this other group that they just don't. And he's trying to will it out of them. He's trying to do whatever he can because he just thinks if I can instill this energy, if I can get this uh, sense of accountability and attitude and toughness, I'll get it out. And it's not working. And it's driving them batty. So if you're in one of those scenarios, and it's really the same scenario, but different age spectrums of the coach, one, are you doing anything different across like, you know, advising a younger coach or a younger practitioner and an older one? And two, where might just trying to compel that collaboration through energy alone and through motivation alone, uh, where does that fall flat? And how do you institute the autonomy you talked about? So whether, whether you're a young coach just starting out or whether you're a, a someone that's, that's, that's been doing it for, you know, 20, 20 odd years, like I have it, 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 for me, it's kind of the same, which is every athlete has got their own map of the world. And we all talk the athlete centered model. Yeah. This is all about the athlete, you know, all we're bothered about with the athlete, but, but are we, are we delivering a system and a program? that the athlete fits, fits into or the other way around, because it's really easy to say that it's athlete centered, uh, but very, very difficult to deliver on that, I think. And every athlete has their own map of the world. And if you've got one group of athletes that are, let's call it very compliant, they get in, they get on with it. You know, and we all know athletes like that and groups of athletes who get in, crack on, smash everything out. Um, they ask you what to do, you tell them what to do or advise them what to do and, and they get it done and they're absolute dreams to work with. And then you get the other, other athletes that are just, they're late, maybe they don't turn up, they've never got the right stuff with them. And, you know, it's, as I say, it's herding cats and you're constantly, you know, you're spending 80% of your time try, trying, to, trying to get that group going. Well, first and foremost is always look at yourself uh, rather than the athlete. What are you doing? How are you doing it? And why are you doing it? And are you trying to force your map of the world onto them? Because the, the, they are where they are for a reason. So as, as touchy-feely as it sounds, this is all about people. It's all about personalities. I'm not going to say necessarily egos, but it's certainly about personalities, characters, and people. And they will all connect with something. And you know, Nick Grantham talks about uh, positive pollution, you know, that there's maybe things that that group of athletes would like to do that you don't want them to do. But if you let them do some of the stuff they want to do, it gives you the opportunity to do some of the stuff that you want them to do, right? And it's all right. a process of negotiation. Now, I call this hiding broccoli on the plate for any parents out there that have got children. 
you know, kids don't want to eat broccoli. I don't want to eat broccoli and I'm an adult. So you've got to hide the broccoli on the plate so that they're getting what they're supposed to get. And for me, that is, if that involves you doing a bit of entertainment as, as Ryan Horn calls it, or, or, you know, pandering to them a little bit or a little bit of novelty, then, then why is that such a bad thing? Because ultimately the, the stuff that they don't, if they don't do any of the program that you want them to do, then it's going to be a hundred percent ineffective. So it's better that they do some of it and some of what they want to do than none of it. And slowly over time, there'll be advocates in that group and slowly over time, maybe they're doing more of the stuff that you would like them to do and less of the stuff that they would, but they're never going to completely be that super compliant athlete that follows the program to a team. But so just embrace that because the more you fight it, the more you're going to push them away. And why should they listen to you anyway? They're there, they're there for a reason. I don't mean in an ego way, but why should, you know, why should a world champion snowboarder listen to what I've got to say? I've not been upside down six times coming off of a jump. So you've just got to connect with them on that human personal level. You know, empathy is absolutely king and just connecting with them. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it answers the question. I think this is the thing, right? I think people, they tend to gravitate to whatever anybody says. Uh, when people ask these kinds of questions, I think they have an answer they want in mind. And I get that because the big reason I wrote the book was I felt like anytime I read anything relational, you know, it just seemed too warm and fuzzy, right? I couldn't find anything tactical. And so <laughs> I knew when I wrote Conscious Coaching, I had to do a chapter called The Trust Tenants, right? And then I had to do those archetypes pieces where like people needed steps. And I think you hit on some of those steps huge. You know, you just said the first thing I want to highlight that you said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here or kind of in summarizing rather, is essentially what I'm hearing you saying, and please do correct me if I'm wrong. Sometimes the athlete actually isn't the problem. Sometimes it's actually the coach. It's the coach's inability to adapt because they think that just because they're the expert that that athlete should comply. But they're forgetting that it's a partnership model. It's not just an athlete-centered or a coach-centered model. It's a partnership model. So the obstacle is the coach themselves and their inability or unawareness, uh, unaware, lack of awareness, or just they don't want to try a different method. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, regardless of the sport, whether it's action sports or not, these kids didn't love going to the gym to work out and as a by-the-by played sport, they play sport first, right? So they all love playing sport, and then the physical pre uh, preparation side of it, the performance side of it, goes hand-in-hand hand with that. But they didn't start out like that, did they? So it's really important that you understand how they've got to where they've got to, the journey that they've been on, and whilst the physical preparation has its time and place and role in what they do, that isn't where they started. You know, we started in a gym, as adult PE coaches, as I call us, we started in the gym, but they didn't. They started on a field, on a mountain, on a track. That's where they started, not in the gym. So it shouldn't be this big shock and surprise when the gym or the weight room or whatever isn't the be-all and end-all of their life. The, the sport is, and it's just recognizing that and understanding that. And as I say, their map of the world and understanding what that looks like to them. Because often as coaches, you know, we can be the limiting factor. And that's the question I ask myself every day. Am I the limiting factor to my athlete because I fundamentally lack the, the, the awareness to even conceive of what they see and how they see it? Am I the one that's slowing them down, not the other way around? 
Yeah, and I think to go with that, here's one thing that's always kind of eerie and concerning to me too is, you know, in the past I've had interns do things when I'm teaching them programming and I'll say, hey, you have three minutes to write three training sessions up on the board, right? I'll give them a case study and I'll say, you have an 18-year-old athlete, you know, they've had uh, this kind of injury in the past, you know, other than that, you know, I kind of lay out some other constraints and I go, you have three minutes to write at least three weight room training sessions that encompass or represent, you know, uh, what you believe to be an adequate program for them based on this time of year or these goals, right? Go. It's kind of like seeing if a hip hop artist can freestyle or a comedian can do improv. Let's see what you know now. What I have found on the other end though, when I did that with coaching, they could always get it with the programming by and large, of course, some, some not so much on the programming side, but everybody could at least get something on the whiteboard. But similarly, I'd say, hey, you have one minute with an athlete. This is somebody that is, uh, you know, they're behaving in this fashion. These are the other constraints. I need you to write down three coaching strategies that are very specific that can help you get around that barrier. And I either get one or two responses. They look at me just kind of blank, blank stare in the face, like, or they start asking a ton of questions. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean they're not doing this? Or wait a minute, am I allowed to ask them this? And I'm looking at them and I'm like, you tell me, what would you do right now if there is an athlete in front of you that has either not responded to something or they're kind of going through the motions or any number of constraints? What would you do? And that whiteboard more times than not is left blank. Do you, yeah. do you think there's other things that we could be doing from a coach development standpoint to get them better at doing that? Because, you know, like especially action sport, th those guys' attention spans are pretty limited, right, Darren? So, well, it depends – uh, so anything to do with anything that isn't their sport directly, they've got the attention spans of hummingbirds. So, you know, you, you have to keep them engaged. Otherwise you will lose them. And if it's not their sport, if they're not on the side of the mountain or wherever doing their sport, if it's anything but that, then the, they are not interested. So you've got to make it interesting for them. They have to be interested in it. Why should I be interested in this? What, what what is it to me you know what's in it for me why should i be bothered so you've got to sell it to them uh and you can't sell it to them on you know the adaption that the soft tissue is going to make because uh, you'll never see them again like they're not in that you've got to be able to to pitch it to them to make it attractive to them and how it's going to benefit them and then what you were talking about with the with the with the coaching side of it is we have a little exercise that we do with the young coaches up at our place which is You've got this athlete and we'll describe the athlete and uh, this is the program they're doing, but they're, but they're not doing it. What, what would you think about? So it's a similar exercise to what you do. And nine times out of 10, everyone will sit there and will write down about 10 things, which is everything this hypothetical athlete should be doing and how they should be doing it. And as I say, nine times out of 10, not a single one of them would have written down, I need to look at what I'm doing as a coach and how I'm delivering, how I'm talking, how I'm speaking, how I'm connecting. None of them think to look at themselves first. And I know it sounds really happy clappy to say, look at yourself first, but you, you, for me, you get back what you put out as communication. So if you're not getting back what you want, what are you communicating and how are you communicating? Because you are obviously not connecting with that person. And, and for me, it always comes back to, you as a person, your emotional intelligence, you know, how, how, how are you with other people? And I think you've said it, you know, the, the shortest way to two people is usually through humor. And yeah. it's, it's it, familiarity doesn't breed contempt. Familiarity breeds what you want it to breed. So I am, I am, you know, 
really good friends with a lot of the athletes. I connect with them on a personal level, but familiarity breeds only what you want it to. And if it breeds contempt, that's what you've allowed it to do. So there's, and this, and then this leads into them, you know, being treated as adults um, and um, treated as a peer, as an expert in what they do, which is what I treat them as. And I say to them all, you're, you're an expert in what you do. Not me. I'm great at stood in a gym counting to 10. You're great at throwing yourself off a mountain. So you tell me, <laughs> you know, and because they're the expert and we, we, they're driving the bus and they're the ones that are in charge. It's about them. And then we're leading on to the autonomy of it. And well, what do you want to do and how do you want to do it? Okay. And I'm there to advise and help them with how some stuff can plug into what they're doing. Not the, not the other way around. I don't know if that answers the question either. Yeah, I've, wobbled on a bit. No, it does. And you touch on two things that we're going to really, uh, we're going to dive into next. And one of them is you mentioned your friends with your athlete. And that's something that also comes up a lot is people will say, Hey, I'm a coach and you know, I'm training these guys or I'm training, you know, and, and one recently just said, and I try to always bring listener and audience questions in. So I hope that's okay with you. And if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable answering one, by all means, just say, Hey, I'm going to pass. But a young coach recently said, you know, I, I've been in charge of taking over this program. I'm working with, with youth athletes and high school athletes and, uh, a lot of the ways that I try to make these kids feel comfortable is, you know, like, a, yeah, I'm their leader, but I still try to be friends with them, you know, in terms of, you know, I try to be supportive. I try to, I don't want to just act like some militant guy, you know, I'm trying to make sure these kids want to come here. He's like, however, I'm getting in trouble from my boss. Cause he's saying, you know, these kids, it's not your job to be their friend, right? It's not your job to be your friend. Um, you know, you need to be acting like this and that. And he's like, how do I manage this? Should I be friends with my athletes? You know, where do you draw the line? <laughs> and, and I think there's some lines that are obviously apparent, right? There's ethical boundaries. Like we would always have to tell interns at, at several facilities, like, listen, you're not going out. And, you know, if you're an intern, right, that's one thing. Like you are not going out. You're not drinking with your athletes. You're not doing this. If you're a grad assistant, if you're an assistant coach in some uh, settings, <coughs> excuse me, I know, you know, like if you're in the college environment, you better not be out at the bars with your guys, you know, and the, every setting is going to have kind of its own, its own rules and its own things. But it's such a messy topic, I find, like, because, you know, in, in full transparency here, I had eight athletes, four of which played in the NFL, come to my wedding, and they were family friends of my wife and I, and that made our day. Now, granted, I had coached all of them for, you know, three, four, five years, and, you know, there, we were really good at separating those bounds, right? When it was time to work, it was time to work, right? And I wasn't going out with these guys or anything like that, but the fact that they showed up to our wedding in Omaha, Nebraska, or at least our wedding ceremony, like that to me made me stop and think, God, like this is part of why I coach. But some people would say that's wrong and there shouldn't be a place. What are your thoughts on the whole, should I be friends with my athletes? Should I not be? And where do you think we start to, we have to have like certain categorical drawing of the line, so to speak? You're right. It's, it, it, it is a little bit of a messy topic because, um, you know, where does it start and where does it stop? And, and But you're also right. There's some there's some clear ethical boundaries that, that, that you shouldn't be crossing. And, and that comes back to familiarity breeds what you want it to. You should have the emotional intelligence to be, have a friendship with an athlete on some level, whatever that means to you and the athlete, without it being a problem. And that just requires, as I say, emotional intelligence. I, you know, the athletes have come to my daughter's birthdays. I've been to their occasions some of these athletes i've worked with since they were 15 and i've worked with them for 17 years now so I've, so from a kid and now they're married and they've got kids and you know i've known a lot of these athletes for a long time and i think that 
it's different it's different for each person it's maybe different for each sport because in action sports what these athletes do you know the line between brilliance and high fives and fist bumps and catastrophic career-ending life-threatening trauma is very very thin so to work with these athletes at the level that i work with there's got to be implicit trust there and to have that implicit trust there's got to be some level of friendship right it can't just be a, this really cold coach relationship that the, they've got to connect with me on a trust level implicitly because when i'm saying right this is what we need to do and how we need to do it and this is the surgeon we need to go and see and this is what's They've got to trust in what I'm saying, not that it's medically right, but that when I'm saying, listen, we're going to get this sorted out. This is how we're going to fix it. This is how you're going to come back. They, they need to have that trust in me. And you can't have these horrific conversations in hospitals with athletes who have got a career threatening injury. If you've got this really cold, straight coach relationship with them, I think it probably works in some sports. Uh, it's certainly how the military works. Not how, but it's not how special forces works. So it's, it's, it's whoever's in front of you. And even with the sports and the individual athletes, everyone's different again. And that's where you become a coaching chameleon, don't you? You, 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 you speak to who and what is in front of you at the level that, that they need. And some people really thrive off that kind of traditional, I'm your coach, it's this, bang, off we go. And other ones need that little bit more of a friendship relationship as a coach athlete. And that, again, that's up to you to just change, you know, change your spots as a chameleon and, you know, however you deal with that in front of you. But it's not something you should, I don't shy away from it. It's an integral, integral part of how I work with the athletes is I am completely approachable and there has to be a friendship on some level because of the consequences of what can happen to them. And I'm the one there that's, that, that helps, you know, literally put them all back together. So help me with this, with that answer, and that's super thorough and complete. I love that. I try to give people, one thing I always try to challenge myself with is if I really know, if I feel like if I really know something, I should be able to give them, you know, some kind of categorical breakdown, right? Like we can do that easily with, with movements in the weight room or with certain budgetary things. But so when I, when I try to give people a guide on saying, hey, here's how you kind of manage this drawing of the line. And I want, I'd like your input because this is just things that kind of come to me. So I think one, it depends on the age gap. I do think that that's important because obviously there's a level of appropriateness there, like in regards to the example I gave. And I think in, in your example as well, like there's, there's uh, a gap enough between me and my athletes, uh, the ones that came to my wedding where we were all adults, right? They all had families of their own. You know, at the time I was married, it's not like, uh, hey, I'm in college, <laughs> you know, and and you're in college and we're going out downtown and I'm early in my coaching career, right? Like, I think there's this age gap there. Uh, does everybody know how to act like an adult? I think environment, you touched on that. I think we collectively did. Like, if you're in the collegiate environment here in the States, you shouldn't be going out to college bars that you know your athletes are going to be at. That's just completely inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing those things. Private, right? You and I both know in the private setting, you're going to get kind of this wide demographic. You're going to get some folks that you know, might be in their 40s and 50s, you're going to get some people that might be 10, 12, 11, you know, and so there's different aspects of that. Past experiences, I think you hit the nail on the head with this, like, where's the implicit trust? What, what happened in the past of that athlete, if they've just had interactions with really controlling, bad kind of eye of Sauron type coaches, <laughs> you might need to you might need to reinvigorate what a coach is and, and take a little bit more friendly persona or approach, because that's going to skew their view. Otherwise, of what they can expect interaction wise when they come, you know, into the weight room or the gym. 
organizational rules and local customs. Obviously, you got to pay attention to what the people in charge do and, right, like, is it appropriate to be friends or, or do this in China? Is it appropriate to do this in this country? You need to know local customs. And then I think coach experience level does matter because they'll recognize social cues, meaning a young coach might become friends with somebody. Maybe the age gap isn't so wide. They don't recognize when it's getting a little too friendly and something could happen where I think an older coach has maybe made mistakes in the past and they recognize, Hey, okay, this is the where like you can trust in me and I'm your confidant and that's fine. But this is the line. Would you, is there anything you'd add to those categories or is any of those categories kind of sound bullshitty to you? No, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, I think it's, I think it's because, because people and emotions are involved. I think it's really tough to, to really sort of pigeonhole some of these things. Yeah. Those that you came up there, came up with there are, are absolutely spot on. And I'm a big believer in you get back what you put out. And I think I've said this two or three times already. And if, if you have the emotional intelligence, if you are, if you're adult enough to be, you know, right, I'm, I'm all, you know, I am a mullet. Okay. I'm all business at the front and party at the back. Right. So, so, and that's what I'm like at work. It's like, this is, I'm working. This is what we're doing. We're going to get you fixed. It's all cool. 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 But then, you know, I, not so much now or very rarely now, but back in the day, I used to go away with the athletes a lot. And listen, you're not going away with action sport athletes for a number of weeks at a time and then not go out with them. And then when you do go out with them, you know, you're not sat drinking tea, are you? And that's when you're all party at the back. So as long as everybody understands where the mullet is, <laughs> right, we should be okay. And that's, and that's about you putting out the right communication and being adult enough to, to do that. Yeah. I think that I love the mullet analogy. You did one better. I try giving people categories. You give them a picture, right? Mullet. That's huge. Now let's talk about engagement because one thing that caught me when I saw you present at the UK SCA, you know, you talked about the environment and where I try to put together this framework of human behavior of things that we know change athletes or just anybody's behavior in general, right? There's social factors, their peers, the media, um, there's their internal drives, kind of subconscious influences or behavior. There's time constraints, you know, and, and, and age constraints, but there's also this environment. And I watched you present on what your environment is like and how you facilitate engagement. And I was blown away. Can you just, can you describe your environment for people listening and kind of yeah, the, the yeah. of it? Yeah, sure. So, so, I mean, we, so I work with a bunch of, 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 um, I work with a load of physiotherapists or physical therapists as, as, as you call them. And obviously as a, as a SNC, as a performance guy by trade, I'm like the antichrist, obviously with all, with all the rest of the people that I work with. And the, the, the environment when I first went in there was exactly what you'd expect it to be. So it's, it's a clinical environment. So it's why it's silent, you know, there's anatomical, nothing for company in the rooms, but anatomical posters. And you know what, if, if, if you're a civilian that's got something wrong and you want to go and see a physical therapist, that's kind of what you would expect. That's what, that is what you want to get. And I get that. To me, it looks like I'm going to the dentist and I'd rather not go, but you know, it, it, to, to a civilian, I guess that's what it looks like. And when I first arrived, I was like, look, this is, this, this is no good this is no good for the action sport athletes. And it's, well, you know, we've got all the facilities and we've got all the equipment. I was like, yeah, that, that, that doesn't matter to the athletes. So we're in a big old place. It's about 50,000 square feet. 
and it's got a fantastic gym, five pools, it's you know, 200 meter indoor track, and that's, that's all awesome. But it doesn't, look, um, it doesn't look action sport, and it's got to look action sport. It can't look clinical, and it can't look gym. It's got to look action sport. So I just said, look, why don't I take this you know, three, 400 square feet here as my office, inverted commas, and uh, we'll just hang out in there. And I, they, they kind of weren't convinced. And then when the action sport athletes started arriving, you know, there's some poor old deer getting measured up for orthotics. And then one of the snowboarders has made a, has made a catapult out of TheraBand and he's firing his pants across the clinic that he's taken <laughs> off. And you're like, do you understand now why maybe I go over here in this space, right? So like, yep, 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 you do that. So, so when it came to sort of building out this space, obviously everyone's like, oh yeah, what, what, what weights are you going to have? What, you know, you're going to get a Leakio or Rogue or this, or what rig are you going to have? I was like, the athletes don't give a shit about that. The only people that wanna, would want to come here and, do, and train and do weights is, is powerlifters, bodybuilders, and CrossFit athletes. And none of the actual sport athletes are that. They're all not that, so they're not going to want to do it. So when I started building this space out, it was that, that was the last thing I was thinking of. And it's literally just a little corner where they can come and be themselves. So as you walk up the stairs to, to get into this space, um, and I know you've, seen, you've, seen, you've got pictures of it, um, there, there's, um, you know, floor to ceiling, uh, pictures on the, on the, on the whole place of, of athletes that, uh, we work very closely with. And as I always say, you know, you've spent a lot of time with us when you're on the window and these are really cool pictures of the athletes doing really cool stuff. And the, these, um, full length transfers that go on the window. So you, you can see out, but you can't see in. So you can't see into what's going on, but you, when you're on this side, you can see out. And, and then I thought, right. I see a lot of quotes around in facilities and places and uh, sometimes I think it's lip service and it's easy to throw a, a quote up onto a wall. But I really thought about, you know, what do I want this athlete to think? Because when they're coming up the stairs to come into this place, they're not coming looking forward to a workout. They're coming because they've broken the leg, legs, an arm or arms. They've done, they've done an ACL and a meniscus and a collateral ligament. They might have broken the back. You know, so they're coming up these, like, you know, all of this is going through their head, which is why they're with us. And so I want them to feel at home, which is why the first thing I see is, is three massive pictures of three very, very well-known action sport athletes who they will know, who've been through our doors and are back doing the thing that they did in the first place to put them with us. And then the quote, the two quotes I've got on there is obviously from Edison saying, there ain't no rules around here because we're trying to achieve something. And, you know, it's... It's, that's, that sets the tone before they've even walked through the door. So straight away, I want them to feel comfortable that we speak action sport, we speak what they do, we speak to what they do, and we're completely empathetic to what they do. So straight away, I'm hoping it's putting the mind at rest. And then when they open the doors, yeah, there's a rig in there and there's some weights and there's, there's some physio treatment tables because everything's, I want everything you know, within sight of everybody. But on the walls is all the shirts, snowboards, skis, skateboards, all signed all over the walls. Now, that's not just to make it look pretty. Every single one of those pieces of kit or a shirt that's all signed on the wall is an athlete that's had a, 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 a season-ending, career-threatening or life-threatening trauma and has come back. And those are the rules. It's the wall of shame, as I call it. You can't put anything up on the wall of shame until, you're back to, until we've got you back to sport. So they'll walk in and now they're surrounded by all this memorabilia of other athletes they know from all other sports. And suddenly the injury 
isn't so bad. And again, they're a little bit more at home. And there's other little things we do as well. I've got some BMXs in there because I think we should all have BMXs in our gyms to be able to ride around on because why not? Yep. And um, the fundamental, I think, and key piece of equipment we've got is Mario Kart, which is projected onto the wall. So it's like, you know... Six- wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. You, you have Mario Kart projected onto the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Explain so, this. Go so, back. So, so, so we have a projector in there, obviously, and people look at it and go, oh, is that for workshops and presentations? And I'm like, well, you could, you could use it for that. It's actually for Mario and Xbox. So some of the athletes like to play Call of Duty uh, on the Xbox, but mainly we play Mario Kart. And so... Uh, and I've obviously I've got disco lights in there as well because who needs normal gym lighting? So we we take it pretty seriously though. We've got a Mario Kart leaderboard in the gym, and uh, everybody, everyone who comes through has to set uh, has to race, and everyone races against each other. And there's there's videos on on Twitter and Instagram that I've put up, and there's there's it gets really competitive. So straight away, you know, we're not talking about. Um, we're not talking about force velocity. We're not talking about what adaptions we're looking in the soft tissues. We're not talking about biological healing rates of ACLs. It's, it's, we're just treating them as people and they've got to feel comfortable and that they're in an environment that is completely sympathetic to action sports, looks like action sports, tastes like action sports, do action sports things. And we speak the language as well. You've, you've got to be able to speak dude or do that. That's really important. And by connecting with them on that human and personal level and making it look like a playground, then they're going to, they're going to engage with it more readily because that is the, the environment that they want to be in a playground environment with other athletes that, uh, that they know and they're confident that we understand what they're going through and how to get them back. Quick break here for a moment to recognize our sponsor momentous. We've talked about it on previous episodes, but I want to make sure you guys understand that if you're interested in nutrition at all whatsoever, Momentus also has a blog on their website, and we have dietitians from all over that are contributing information. And these are dietitians that have worked in the NBA, the NFL, even the fitness market. Guys, so no matter what you're into, there's something for you from an educational capacity on that blog at livemomentous.com. Also, if you guys are regular listeners and you're looking uh, you know, just for a product that you can give to guys and you don't have to worry about, okay, is this have banned substances? Does this have anything else I need to be on alert of? Momentous goes through some of the most rigorous testing procedures of any company I have ever seen. Not only are they NSF approved for sport, but they're also informed choice. They do tons of third-party testing, and they're constantly making sure that they're staying above board on all the latest and, or, or newest regulations and guidelines that come out. They're, they're absolutely obsessive about it. If you guys want to learn more, make sure to go to livemomentous.com backslash Brett. And you guys will get $20 off your first order by using code BRETT20 at checkout. Again, that's livemomentous.com backslash Brett. And just use the code BRETT20 at checkout and you guys will get $20 off your first order. Always want to thank Momentous for the support that they give us. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, but Darren, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What would you say to coaches that are saying, you know, listening to this and saying, that's ridiculous. He's catering and creating a playground type environment. There's no way these guys are going to be focused. There's no way any real work gets done. You know, like, like, you know, a lot of coaches still have things on their wall, like, you know, pain is weakness and 
you know, pound the rock and consistency is, you know, like you're telling me that the key to getting these guys engaged is disco, disco lights. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Having Nerf gun wars. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what would yeah, you say so, to people that say yeah, yeah, that's yeah. messing around? Yeah. That's the other stuff as well. We've got an extensive Nerf gun armory, a very extensive Nerf gun armory, Nerf grenades, Nerf claymore mines. So if you ever visit our facility, you, you know, you have to be, hyper aware of any door that you open or any corner that you turn around because you may get a nerf grenade or claymore mine to the face um it's obviously it's also part of my ongoing campaign of making the physios lives hell by constantly nerfing them as well but um you know the when you've got a career ending season ending or even life-threatening injury you things are sucking enough already and so the more clinical and sterile it is, the worse it's going to be. And we're not making fun of anything or anyone, but as, as, as flake as this sounds, we're, we're taking the power away from any injury that they've got. And we're not talking about the fact they've got a broken leg. We're talking about, do you want this Nerf gun or do you want that Nerf gun? Now, all of this stuff happens. The physios are there. We're in the gym. And this is what I talk about, hiding the broccoli on the plate. Because if we want to do all this cool stuff, which we do, we also need to do some of this other stuff. So it's, it's a case of, right, we'll have a Mario battle. And then, as I say, look, you're going to have to do some physical therapy stuff now. But let's get, let's get this. You know, the main thing is let's get the Mario battle done. So we get the Mario battle done. They're on a high. Everyone's having a good laugh. They don't mind so much that they've got a dick around doing the physical therapy exercises involving a TheraBand, which nobody wants to do. But I understand that they've got to be done. But... No one wants to do them. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, God, I can't wait to you know, squeeze my shoulder blades together with a TheraBand. No one wants to do that. So you've got to make it so that they're happy to do it because they're doing that in between the Mario battle. And then once they finish the physical therapy, then we're going to go and hunt some physios down with the Nerf guns, right? And they're laughing, they're smiling. And if there's, more than, there's always more than one athlete in, all from different sports, all from different injuries. And if you ever come to our place, no one's talking about the ACL they've ruptured. No one's talking about the leg they've broken. No one's talking about the back they've broken. It's a case of, you know, what time did you get on Mario? Um, which Nerf gun? Are you going to get your own Nerf gun and bring it next time? And in the meantime, in between all of this, they're doing their pool conditioning session off feet. They're doing the hydrotherapy. They're doing the soft tissue work. They're doing all their uh, exercises that the physios have got. Because as well, while they're doing all their mobility work or balance work or, or whatever it is they're doing with the physical therapist, I may nerf them while they're doing that as well. So they've got to be extra vigilant, which I think adds a different uh, take on intent while they're doing these exercises. While they're having treatment, action hypothesis. Exactly. While, while they're having treatment, the physio may at any moment get shot in the back of the head with a nerf or the athlete. You don't know. So everyone's always on a little bit of edge in there as I want it to be. And um, it sounds really chaotic and it sounds childish, but, um, but that's how I want it because nobody wants to grow up. You know, it's, it's, you know the, the creative child, you know, is the adult that didn't grow up, right? So, so you've got to create this environment where it's fun, it's cool, we speak their language, but the work has, has to get done as well, but it's got to be done in the right way that, that they will do it. Now, if you work in a traditional sport, I'm not saying that you go in to work on Monday and say, right, everybody, uh, let's get the Nerf guns and Mario Kart out. You can't just suddenly introduce this stuff. But certainly the fun 
human element of what we do and not taking what we do too seriously is paramount. And the reason why I say don't take what we do too seriously is because if you've got a broken back, that's kind of serious enough. So do you need me being a buzzkill about it as well? Going, oh my God, yeah, you've broken your back. That's really sad. Let's right. sit in a white room with an anatomical poster for company while you silently get some soft tissue work. I mean, I don't want to do that. But, you know, so that's, that's why we go about the way we go about it. Like I say with the quotes, it's, you know, there's the old, um, that it's good to have a journey to end towards, but it's the journey that matters in the end from Hemingway. The, the look is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. All these little quotes are around the gym because, and, and that it's not just lip service or to look cool. And, and the athletes enjoy that, you know, and it just, I just think it sets the tone. Sorry, I went on a massive one then. <laughs> no, I mean, what I'm getting from it is you're the Peter Pan of performance. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I but, do so, like wearing green tights actually. That's, no, uh, yeah. the, it, it, does, it, it does remind me, ironically enough, of, of a quote, right? How trite is that? And uh, I read it in an article once. I'm sorry for anybody listening. I honestly do not remember who said it, but, but if you reach out to me, I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll go back after. But I did screenshot it um, because it, it was something that I wanted to, to hold on to. But in the screenshot, it didn't include who it was from. But it said, you know, scientific intervention is periodic and transactional. It happens infrequently and deals in clearly quantifiable elements. Coaching is lifelong, daily, and holistic, right? And I think this is something that drives our, our field nuts sometimes. It's not everything that we can do is, is going to be driven by purely quantifiable outcomes. So let's imagine you're up on stage and you just went through everything you talked about. And I'm that curmudgeon in the audience. It says, hey, thanks for your time. Great presentation all well and good, um, but how do you know what you're doing is working, right? And there's always that guy or gal in the audience. How do you know, you know, it seems like, you know, it's great, your athletes are having fun and there's some self-attribution stuff and, and you're changing the environment. But at the end of the day, our jobs are, are results oriented and I don't believe in soft skills because I don't think they're quantifiable. So how are you going to, how, how do you convince me or how can you defend this? What, what's your response to that person? Yeah, so exactly. I mean, you can't, you can't very easily graph this sort of stuff. Well, actually you can because the Mario Kart is timed. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're <laughs> well, who came in first? What was your attitude right, right yeah, now? Yeah, exactly. So, and we've got the win-loss record as well. So you're right. Like it's all there, hard data written down on the board. Um, I think um, the 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 that's a that is a fair question though, which is like, how do you know how do you know you're getting done what you need to get done? And it, it's very very simple for me. It, again, I know it sounds. I keep saying it's about the athlete. So, does the athlete turn up? Yes. And do they come the next day? Yes. And do they keep coming? Yes. And they're all repeat customers as well. Every time something happens, am I the person they ring and do they want to come back to us? Yes, they do. And I think if they don't come the next day or ever again, or want to come back to us, that's when I need to ask the question, why? That's when I think, well, is what we're doing working? Ultimately as well, do they, do they get back to their sport and do they, do we return them fitter and stronger than pre-injury which is always the goal as well and that's the that's the kind of thing that I always say as we all do with injured athletes this is your opportunity to come back fitter and stronger and address anything else you've got going on and just think everyone else has been competing and you haven't so you'll be fresh it'll be awesome um, and it's, it's if we don't have the engagement if we don't return them fitter and stronger than pre-injury uh, then that's how we know that we're not doing something right and, I, and touch wood I've not come across that yet apart from the odd athlete that has, has, has had a career-ending injury that we, we haven't been able to get them back from. 
and that's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. But um, the the it, it's do we're a private organisation essentially. So you know, do the customers come back? <laughs> and that's that's you know, we're not. I don't have the luxury of 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 being with a with a with a team where the athlete you know the athletes are there whether whether they want to be or not. And that's no disrespect to anyone working in traditional mainstream sports, but you know we are a commercial entity. So so our success is 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 paramount and the results are paramount because those athletes go back out into the wider world and say oh you know i went here i went there but you know i worked with these guys it was awesome we did this we did that and they got me it's not about getting them back any quicker but it's certainly they came back at the level that they should come back and the the, the performance they wanted to come back at and and that just and then people just um keep picking up the phone so that's how i judge whether what we're doing is right or wrong yeah, I think it, I mean, it speaks to the fact that sometimes I think in our field, we fancy ourselves to be this holistic minded, you know, wide range kind of spectral uh, group of discerning professionals, but we really lionize uh, strength and conditioning research or just research in uh, related fields, whether that's physiotherapy, whether that's, but we look, we forget about the greater research out there, right? Like looking at just economics. When you're talking about what's the intervention here, you mentioned it, do they come back, right? Are they a repeat customer? Uh, what's your level of engagement? I mean, Gallup, that organization has research from decades and decades of top organizations that looks at the level that engagement and fun and all that has on hard outcomes of a business. And so when people just lionize S&C-based research or stuff that's in the performance literature, however wide you want to consider that spectrum, but they don't look into the business world or they don't look into anything else, I think they're missing the boat because that data exists. I mean, Google is an analytics company, and I've talked about this in my presentation for you know almost a decade now you know, they know how to drive people to certain sites and why they look at certain ads, they measure engagement. So if you want analytics on what engagement can do for behavior, look no further than the search engines and everything else we're doing, because that's all based on some of the most robust algorithms of human behavior and, and what AI has learned about us than ever before. Um, so I think you knocked, you knocked it home there. There is one more contentious topic I want to talk to you about. Are you game for it? Go on then, yeah, absolutely. Okay, you kind of sound hesitant there, so I mean, I don't want to. I, hurt I wasn't, you. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you had any pictures of me doing something. Um, Duncan French has got dirt on me. You've all, you've always. It's a small world. You've got to be careful about this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, listen, we do have pictures, Duncan and I do. Um, I also have pictures of Duncan. You know, he's just a huge Twitter bully, so we know secrecy there. Like we got Duncan under wraps too, so nothing will come there. Um, no, this is what I want to talk about. And specifically because you deal with action sports and you've been humble, by the way, this whole time, you don't really just work with like the casual action sport athlete. You deal with some of the most high level in the world. So let's just make sure that's clear. Cause I know you won't admit that, but you know, a topic came up the other day and we were talking about learning styles and not just learning styles, but learning preferences, modal strengths, right. Or some people, uh, from an athlete standpoint, more, uh, you know, kinesthetically oriented, analytical, are they more visual? Are they more tactile, auditory? And this argument's interesting because there's somebody that runs a podcast that has millions and millions and millions of followers and he thinks learning styles are trash. And the problem with that in my mind, and, and this is a good debate to have, is most learning style or learning preference research is done in the classroom. And we know that there is a big difference between learning and retaining something in the classroom and then somebody doing a complex whole body movement under uncertain or variable conditions and uh, doing that with their body where they have to navigate this environment. And it's a part of presentation that I give and I kind of discuss both sides of the argument. 
But with action sports and the people that you're working with and the rehabilitation and all these different things, do you think that modal strengths and learning preferences and all these things are a thing or are they complete trash, a waste of time, and we should not even be aware of them whatsoever? I think, so learning styles, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware as what you're aware of. And really with the athletes that I work with, I don't think about learning styles too much. In fact, I don't think of, I don't think of learning styles at all. It's more of a way of life and it's more of a community thing. So really it's just creating that community and they learn from themselves and they learn from each other. So the difference with action sport athletes compared to a traditional sport athlete is I may have a snowboarder who's finished a heavy run of competitions um, in one country to the next. And I'll say to them, you know, that, that's cool. You know, what, what's, your, what's your plan for this six week break? And they will be going snowboarding on a glacier somewhere with the people they've just been competing against. And that's the difference between traditional and action sports is that community. And so with the learning styles is, I don't think about whether the audio, visual, kinesthetic, whatever, is they learn from each other and they learn from themselves and they learn through trial and error. And, you know, it's, it's just like a kid teaches themselves how to walk, you know, that's, that, that's how they learn. Now, is that, is that visual? Is that tactile? Is that, is that kinesthetic? I, I have absolutely no idea. What I do know is you put more than one of them in a room for for alone for more than 10 seconds then stuff's going to start happening whether that's a room a gym where we are or on a mountain it's it's you can't turn your back if i have done this i'm i i turned my back I, there was 10 of them in the gym and i had to nip out for a minute and came back and on, apart from it being on fire they were absolutely trashing the place because that's just what they do now i don't know what learning style that is but that's that's just, that's just what they do. That's how they learn from each other. That's how they progress. So I don't know if I'm answering the question here because no, I, I, don't, I don't really know the answer, but it, it's, it's, the, it's the community uh, and, and they don't know what learning style they are. So I'm not saying learning styles are trash, but you're right. When we talk about learning styles, we're talking about being sat either, co either in, instructed in a room really rather than, rather than coached. So, so I, I'm sure there are some form, some people learn in certain ways better than others, but what those styles are, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point. This was part of the debate, right? We were talking about, I don't like the idea of styles and that. I don't think anybody is ever born with one learning style. I don't like the term learning styles, but we do know from motor learning research that people do have learning preferences and you touched on a lot, even in the environment. You know, there was research done in the seventies and reproduced in the nineties that just talked about environmental learning. Like, listen, like if you look at, uh, an environment, right? From sound, lighting, design, structure, social. We know that there's certain people that prefer to work alone or one-on-one -on -one with like a practitioner. And there's other people that want to work with peers, you know, and they want to work with groups. And, you know, there's people that want to work environments that are really quiet and, and a little bit more sterile maybe. And then there's others that need a lot of background noise or they need Nerf guns or they need different lighting. Some people want a well-illuminated room. Some people need softer lighting. And, and listen, like, most people need a combined profile. I think that this is from my standpoint where people get it twisted is they think when we talk about preferences, when we talk about just modal strengths, I mean, we all have to instruct athletes in different ways. If that was the case, everybody would simply coach their athlete the same way all the time. We'd get optimal results and no coaching wouldn't even be needed, right? AI could just do it because it's tell somebody to do it, 
tell them one way and they'd all do it that way all the time. And we know that doesn't exist. We know people need some level of variability in terms of their inputs and outputs. So I think you answered it perfectly. And it sounds like you do a really good job of implementing and, and not catering to, but molding, you know, an environment that speaks to a, a variety of different preferences. Because if I'm hearing you right, you got your guys would hate to work in some sterile, siloed kind of just room with maybe one-on-one. -on -one. They want to be around others and they want it a bit raucous and they want, they want some fun. And that may seem obvious to everybody, but not everybody wants that. So does that make a little bit more sense? Yeah, and, and look, don't get me wrong, there's, there's, there's certain action sports and certain action sport athletes that I work with that, that do enjoy what is more recognizable to a traditional prescriptive structure. Don't, don't right. get me wrong, but, but, but again, you know, we create the environment and the community more importantly because you know, if there's six athletes in, they may not know each other, but we create the community because they may not know each other, but they're all action sport athletes. And it's, oh, what are you here for? Well, I've broken my leg. It's like, oh, well, I've, I've broken my leg twice, so pipe down. And, you know, and then we're on to the Mario Kart. So, so the, the, it creates the, the, this community of them working together. And because when they're not with their sport, they're not with their community. And the problem with action sports is their sport is their life. Their life is their sport, right? And they're, they're not only, they're removed from their sport, they're removed from their friends, their community, their support structure. And because it's freestyle action sports, the sport's moving on. There's no, you know, for the, for the, for the three, four, six, 12 months that they're out, the sport's moved on. So the car just come back for it and stronger, which is what we want. They've also got to come back and then sort of try and hit the level where everyone else is in terms of technical ability. But with the, but, but what's what you're saying is, you know, we, we, we don't cater to, or I certainly don't cater to one style. We just create the environment, create the community. And then, it sort of lends itself to whatever that person wants. They can sort of shape that how it suits them. So if there's half a dozen athletes there, they you know they might even form a little pockets of, of three on three kind of thing. You know, so it, it, it facilitates autonomy. Yeah, it's it's it, exactly the autonomy, and, it, and it's, it's it's as much as it's a playground. We start with the playground, and then that's the canvas that they can put on whatever they want to put on it, and it suits them for whatever they need to suit it for. So it's not just all chaos and running around like lunatics because I can speak, you know, think of a few athletes off the top of my head that, you know, they enjoy it. They enjoy it. They don't enjoy the super prescription clinical side of it, but they want it, they want it fairly organized. They don't want it too loose. And the playground caters for that as well. And ultimately, as I say to all the young coaches that come through our place, deal, deal with who and what's in front of you. Yeah. Just yeah. do that. Just deal with who and what's in front of you. Cause if it's the same person the next week, it might be different. So just deal with who and what's in front of you. And right be moldable now. yourself. Like quit looking yeah, at absolutely. athletes. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Be that chameleon, you know, just be that coaching chameleon and you have to be adaptable yourself. Easier said than done when people don't have a school to go to learn this stuff, right? And yeah, I know you yeah, and I have talked about yeah. like that's, uh, I'm going to have to hire you because that's a big thing that we, are, we do now at Art of Coaching is we provide these environments now where coaches of all levels can, can come and they get thrown into different improv scenarios and case studies, small group discussions and all this. and. I've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. It's funny. You, you see kind of a range. We, we mix people up in groups so that, you know, a really high level or, or experienced coach such as yourself may be mixed. You know, you might even be mixed with Todd or Sarah from 24 hour fitness that, you know, doesn't have a ton of experience in a performance environment is still learning and is raw. And we have people go through peer evaluations and, and give a lot of subjective and objective feedback. And, 
sometimes you'll see coaches that, you know, the really experienced coaches will get mad and they'll say, well, what do you know about what I'm doing? Like, who are you to, to grade me poor on these six dimensions that we evaluate them on? And we're always having to remind them guys, like, listen, this, this person, whether more experienced or less experienced that you're paired up with in some way, shape or form represents an athlete you're dealing with in your environment. You know, like you're only an expert and you mentioned it, Darren, if that athlete, you know, perceives you as one. So you can't get mad if a younger or older or somewhat less experienced or, or experienced in a different capacity coach grades you poorly in this domain because that's going to happen, right? Like you could be the world's best coach and you could have an athlete that's like, no, man, I'm not vibing with you. And what are you going to get mad at them now because they're giving you that feedback? And this is kind of where we've seen that lack of previous education and social skills take over because coaches claim to want to be lifelong learners, but then they kind of only want it how they want it, right? As long as it's a book or going to a conference where it doesn't really attack their ego, it's like, no, man, like you should be challenged and you should feel like you're not going to get in a, a perfect evaluation because that's not the game we're in. Um, so I think you spoke to all these things, all these things perfectly. Is there anything else you kind of want to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, like I say, I, I don't know what anyone can take from this in the, in the more, more traditional sports sense. It, as I say, it's not something you can go in on Monday and, and uh, you know, let the lunatics take over the asylum. But it's certainly something that can be sprinkled on or introduced in some way or if it just gives someone food for thought about how to approach things slightly differently. Buddy Morris said something brilliant years and years ago. Um, you know, the athlete doesn't care what you know about until they, they know that you care. And... I like to think that the athletes know that I care. I care about them and, and I'm bothered about them and I, and I want them to do well. And that's why we go to such lengths to create the environment for them because we care. And that just, as I say, just makes them then that much more open to what they need to do and how they need to do it to get to wherever they need to get to. Couldn't agree more. Darren, where can people find you, reach out to you, send you gag gifts, yeah, um, yeah, probably yeah, come, yeah. you know, uh, terrorize you and your family, yeah, maybe even come have dinner at your house. Where, how can people yeah, do this? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, um, I'll, put, I'll, I'll give you my bank details. and Yeah, please well do. And date of birth. So um, I, am on, uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram. I am the real Coned on Twitter and I am the real Coned on Instagram. Now, I'll warn you, if you seek me out on social media, I don't really post anything of any real value other than just uh, me nerfing yeah. athletes or being nerfed by athletes because we don't take things very, very, I have some odd periods of lucidity, obviously where I'll post something. Um, I, uh, I tend to post a lot of graphs on a lot of the research I've done, which is hundred percent made up of course on uh, certain aspects of life, but the, the graphs look good, but you can seek me out on, on Twitter and um, Instagram, uh, I'm contactable through them as well. And uh, you'll get to see some of the stuff we do with the athletes, uh, which, which, you know, it might not look what, what you expect, but um, yeah, it's just what happens. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge with us. No worries, I, I appreciate your warmth and your humor. You're such a fresh take on what it means to be a, a leader and a coach, man. And, and we'll have to have you on again soon. So thanks again for your time. And everybody, please support people like Darren. Uh, these guests come on and they take time out of their day. And, you know, it's a simple fact, right? Like these podcasts and everything else operate off algorithms just like anything else. So your ratings and reviews do matter. Please make sure to rate and review the podcast so that this episode and those like it can get heard by others. Otherwise, small podcasts just kind of get drowned out by the big boys, and uh, we want to try to help as many people as possible. So 
please honor Darren and, and, and all the other guests by just taking a few moments, leaving a review on iTunes or subscribing on Spotify or what have you. We'd really, really appreciate it. Darren, until next time, brother. Thanks, dude. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, glad I caught you. Listen, there's a lot of people that think that I just have social media, podcasts, and, and YouTube. Guys, there are so many more resources uh, if this stuff interests you. Um, first of all, if you haven't checked out the book, I'd be honored if you would. It's on Amazon worldwide. It's called Conscious Coaching. Uh, we have a free field guide. There's so many resources I try to provide online, free ebooks, free downloads. If you just go to artofcoaching.com, check out the free resources. There's also online courses. So whether you're interested in the coaching, communication, psychology side, we have an online course called Bought In. Uh, that is a great resource. It's research-backed, and it applies to every profession. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach. Literally, I use the term strength coach and athlete because that's what I do. But just like you read uh, an article or a book by a former Navy SEAL or somebody that owns a company in Silicon Valley, all these things are relatable to other fields. Also, if you're looking more into career management, whether that's you trying to learn more about marketing, contract negotiation, networking, resume writing, all these things that go into the messiness of trying to create and cultivate a sustainable career, we have a course for that as well. It's called Valued. Both of those are found on artofcoaching.com. Remember, the podcasts and all these other things, you know, they're, I can only share so much and we try to do it in so many other mediums. So please, I'd be honored at your support. We try to make sure and donate a percentage of the proceeds every year to either fight Alzheimer's, uh, cancer research. We, uh, we donate to local police forces. We try to do a lot of different things and we can only do that with your support. Thanks again for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy those resources.